All right, well, this morning, we're at the halfway point of the book of Genesis. The first half of this book of beginnings ends with the beginning of a new chapter of life for Isaac, his marriage. It's a very important marriage. It's only the second marriage in the book of Genesis that we are given the full and complete picture, if you will, uh, concerning all the little details. You know, Adam and Eve was the first, the creation of marriage, the very first marriage, and now the marriage between Isaac and Rebekah. What I mean is, is that when you read through the book of Genesis, you, know, you, you weren't led on for any details concerning, for example, Noah's marriage. You weren't given any details you know, about Abraham and Sarah when they got married. It was always just a sentence that you read, right? Something like that that said, Abraham took a wife, right? And that was it. And you know, maybe the marriage was listed in a, in, a, you know, in a line of genealogy or something like that. But there was no romantic backstory. There was none of those details. It would have made for a really boring movie, you know? And Abraham took a wife, the end, right? But not this chapter. Entire books have been written around this one chapter. Marriage classes and marriage seminars are taught from this one chapter, chapter 24. This is also the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And so I'm just letting you know ahead of time, spoiler alert, that's going to take us two weeks to get through it. And uh, be warned, I'm going to leave you right in the middle of the chapter this morning, and we aren't going to wrap it up until next week. All right? So you got to come back. So we're going to wrap up the heartwarming love story of a marriage made in heaven, but we'll wrap it up next Sunday. But for today, we're going to read the first 27 verses. So Genesis 24, 1 through 27. It says, now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I might make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, whom took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. 
By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. And he said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the great picture that we have here in these verses, in this whole entire chapter, and the picture that it shows us for us that we can apply to our lives as well. Great picture of marriage, but more importantly, Lord, our marriage to Christ. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray you bless these words and speak to us this morning, your words. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All marriages you know, the institution of marriage is very important to God. God created marriage. God defines marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And then the marriage is before God. So no matter what the world says or how the world defines marriage, and since the world can't define what a woman is, you know, it's, are they too afraid to define what a woman is? Imagine our surprise when they can't define a marriage either, right? But Hebrews 13.4 tells us that marriage should be held in honor among all. Honor meaning precious. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So the covenant of marriage is the, uh, of the utmost importance to God. Jesus began his ministry at a wedding feast. Uh, Jesus taught many parables that involved marriage. You have the parables of the ten virgins. You have the parable of the wedding feast. You have the parable about being ready for the master returning home from the wedding feast, right? In Luke 12, you have the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14. And on top of that, of course, in Revelation 19, we have the wedding celebration of the Lamb. And all of these resolve around our understanding of marriage as defined by God and God alone. God uses marriage to illustrate our relationship with Christ. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. Right? Understanding marriage is key to helping you understand the kingdom of God. And that's the problem with the world today. And even with some within the church, unfortunately, is that they don't understand God's intention and God's definition of marriage. This marriage that we're reading about here this morning is going to be obviously a marriage made in heaven. You've heard the phrase. 
However, not all marriages are made in heaven. It's obvious today that there are many marriages made here on earth. But this is a very important marriage and a very important episode in the history of man's redemption. Why? Well, because Isaac is a type of Christ, as we've gone through previously, right? Typology. Symbolically, he is a, you know, a type of Christ. And we saw this, of course, in many different ways. But remember when Abraham took Isaac up, mount, you know, uh, up to a mount in Moriah, which we believe is Golgotha is the mountain that he took him up on to sacrifice him. And Isaac, you know, when they go up there, Isaac is saying, "Uh, we have everything that we need for the sacrifice, but we don't have the lamb. Where is the lamb? Right? And Abraham tells him the Lord himself will provide the sacrifice. But Isaac obediently went up there with his father. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. Isaac allowed himself to be bound up and put on top of the altar to be sacrificed. And then God stopped Abraham and provided a ram, an adult lamb. So it shouldn't surprise us then through this search for a bride for Isaac, you know, by his father Abraham, through the sending of his servant, that there are going to be many parallels or there's going to be symbolism that relates to God the Father through the sending of the Holy Spirit to bring forth a bride for his son, Jesus. Yeah. And also, that just for a side note, you see many parallels in this marriage as that you can, you know, you see also in Adam and Eve. Many similar uh, things as well with the very first marriage. So this is an important marriage. A multitude of nations are going to come forth from this marriage, right, as well as the promised Savior, right, in which all nations will be blessed. So the bride must be chosen with particular care. Now it says here in the very beginning that Abraham was old, well advanced in years. If you fast forward a little bit to the next chapter in Genesis 25, you find out that Isaac was 40 when he took Rebekah for his wife, so that means that Abraham was 140. Okay, So Abraham is 140 years old, Isaac is 40, so a few years have passed since since Sarah passed away. And Abraham's too old to make the journey himself. It's roughly, you know, I didn't go measure it myself, but it's roughly 500 miles from where Abraham is living to Mesopotamia, to the city um, that his brother lives in. And which is like in, you know, Syria or Turkey, you know, it depends on exactly where they place it, but somewhere up there today, you know, and so I don't know if you remember that song by the Proclaimers, I would walk 500 miles. And I, yeah, Abraham can't do that. Abraham can't walk 500 miles. He can't even ride a donkey 500 miles. Abraham's too old, too advanced in age. So he's going to send his servant. And if you want to rewind back to Genesis 15 too, you'll find out his servant's name is Eliezer of Damascus. Right? So he, and his servant's in charge of his whole household. And he's the oldest, you know, he's the eldest of his entire household. And so he, he gets his servant in. Now, just so you know, Eliezer's name means God is help or God's help. Matter of fact, one of the roots of his name is the same root that is used for helpmate or helper when God creates Eve. Uh, so a helper also is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. 
And Abraham seems to understand the truth that we first heard spoken back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when, uh, when God created Eve, that the Lord knew that it was not good for man to be alone. And he also knew that his descendants were going to come through Isaac, so Isaac needed a bride, right? So he's going to send his servant to do it. So he says, you need to go take a wife for my son, right? So the servant is going to be sent by the father, Abraham, in the name of the son, Isaac. John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Also in John 16, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is very symbolic of the role of the Holy Spirit. So Abraham makes his servant take a very serious oath. It's very similar to like circumcision, for example. Um, But it's a very serious oath. It's a covenant, basically, that he takes with his servant. And he has his servant put his hand under his thigh. Now, the word can also mean side as well. Most people think his servant's actually putting his hand on his side and not under his thigh, but whatever, right? Right. Right? The word is Yarek in the, in the Hebrew. But he makes him swear by the Lord. He says, you know, you got to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. you got to swear by Jehovah. This is how important this is. And he gives him clear instructions. Right? Hey, this is your mission should you accept it. Right? This is the will of the Father. The first instruction is, you have to go to my country. You have to go to my kinsmen. Right? Don't go searching for a bride among the Canaanites. Right? Not going to happen. Right? Now later, of course, we know that the law will specifically stipulate that Jews are not to marry heathens, or not to marry pagans, or not to marry anyone from the Hittites, or the Girgashites, or the Amorites, or the Canaanites, or the Perizzites, or the Hivites, and the Jebusites, etc. Right? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So even though Abraham's not following the law because the law has not been passed down yet, (coughs) Abraham was a man of great faith. He knew God's word, and he knew how to apply it to all areas of life, including marriage. And so the same principle applies. Abraham knew that Canaanite women could possibly turn his son away from the Lord. Can you get me a thing of water, please? Even though if you had his son marry one of the daughters of the local kings, it would have been to his advantage. He would have gained a lot from that, worldly speaking. But what Abraham was hoping for was a woman who had been raised in the ways of the Lord. Right? Now y'all know, y'all, y'all know the whole, the idea between uh, a Proverbs 31 woman. Thank you. Right? Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. In some translations, it says, you know, uh, uh, a virtuous wife. It doesn't, you know, 
regardless of your translation. The Hebrew word there, I don't know if you know this or not. The Hebrew word there is kagil, and it's translated most of the time in the Bible. It's translated army, okay? Virtuous is like a couple times, maybe once. Maybe that only verse right there in Proverbs. But most of the time, like over 50 times, maybe close to 60 times, it's translated army. And what that means, when you look up the word, what it means is it's actually referring to a woman of valor. It's referring to a woman of strength. It's referring to one who is a force. Right? So a wife who is, you know, a woman of valor, a woman of strength, right? She is far more precious than jewels. This is what Abraham is looking for. This is what Abraham wants. This is what he's hoping for, for Isaac. Abraham wants a marriage made in heaven. That's what he wants. Now, we see when we read through these verses that the woman will have a choice. The servant is not going to go down there, bunk her on the back of the head, throw her over the camel, and drag her back to Isaac. He's not going to do that. right? He's going to give the woman a choice. You have a choice. She's going to have a choice. He's, he's not going to kidnap anyone and bring her back. right? If the woman will not come, then the servant will be free of the oath that he's made to Abraham. But he says, and this is the second stipulation that Abraham is very, you know, that wants to make sure he gets across. That even if the woman doesn't want to come, you are not to take his son Isaac down there. Isaac is not going to leave the promised land. Do not take him. Abraham Abraham says, listen, the Lord told me that my offspring, that he was going to give the land to my offspring. Right? Isaac is my offspring. And he isn't leaving. For any reason. He is not to leave this land. You don't, I don't care if there is 50 women down there, right? And they all want to come up and you need Isaac to make a choice. He's not coming. He's not going down there for any reason. And just for the record, just so you know, you know, ahead of time, Isaac never left the promised land. Not once. He didn't travel around like others, right? But then he tells the servant this, the Lord that made me that promise is sending an angel before you. So don't fear. Don't worry. Because the God who made me that promise, the God you're making this oath to, is going to send an angel before you, and the Lord will provide. The Lord's going to provide. So the servant says, okay. Right? So he takes ten camels to carry all the gifts (laughs) and his supplies and everything. He takes all the camels, he takes 10 camels to carry all the gifts, and he makes this 500-mile journey to Mesopotamia, to Nahor, uh, and he arrives in the evening when the women usually come out to bring water to the well, and he parks the camels outside the city, right, by the well. He's not dumb, he knows this is where the women are going to come to, and the first thing he does is very important. He prays. That's the very first thing he does. He gets down there and he prays. He says, oh Lord, 
God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I might drink. And who shall say and reply to him, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. He's thrown out a fleece. Right? You know, he's, he is like, all right, this is, if I want a sign. I want a very specific sign because I want you, Lord, to choose Isaac's wife. I don't want to choose her. Right? I want you to choose the wife. So this isn't a presumptuous prayer. It's a very specific and it's a very believing prayer, right? The servant's motives are to honor God, the God of his master Abraham, and accomplish his mis- the mission that's been entrusted to him by Abraham, right? But yet actually from God. So he's asking for this remarkable, specific sign, right? I'm going to ask one of the women when they come out to get water from the well, I'm going to ask one for a drink. And then the woman, right? If it's the woman that you want, if it's the woman that you've appointed, Lord, she's going to reply to me and say, here, have a drink. And while you're drinking, I'm going to water your camels for you. Considering that a camel can drink up to 20 gallons of water, right? Watering 10 camels was a lot of work. This wasn't something she's just going to do in five to 10 minutes. This could easily take an hour for her to water 10 camels, right? The servant's not even, he, you notice in this prayer, he's very specific, but yet he's not specific about certain things. He doesn't say, make her the most beautiful woman in the entire world. She needs to be six feet tall. She has to have dark, you know, he doesn't have all these different things. He, does, he doesn't actually even really, he doesn't mention anything about what she's supposed to look like or anything like that. He cares nothing about that. What he does care about is that she is a woman of character and she is chosen by God. That's what he cares about. Right? And he knew that she should be from Abraham's people, right? That she should be godly, that hopefully she was hardworking, that she was industrious, that she was sturdy. But other than that, he was in the dark. Right? I mean, there could be there could be many choices. Like you know, like I said, fifty women could have come out to go to the well. They all could have had the same reply. He doesn't he doesn't know what to do. He knew he needed the Lord's help. And he wanted God to show him whom God had chosen, whom God had appointed. He needed divine guidance, right? Well, thankfully for him, God was listening. Matter of fact, Isaiah 65, 24 tells us that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And it says right in verse 15 here, that before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, right? came out with a water jar on her shoulder. Right? Out comes Rebecca. Now, of course, he doesn't know who she is. Right? He doesn't even know if she's from Abraham's family. He doesn't know anything like that. Right? And we've been filled in on the details. We already know what's going on. We're like, oh, Rebecca's the first one out. Right? Right? But he's like, okay, God, let's see what happens. Right? And, you know, and just so you know, Drawing water was a hard, rigorous chore, all right? And often the women dawdled. They drug their feet. But Rebecca is the first one out and the first one to the well, which is a good sign if he's paying attention, right? Because she wasn't trying to get out of her chores. She wasn't dragging her feet. She was just jaw on the shoulder and heading out to the well, 
right? And then it tells us in verse 16, well, just, you know, to put a ribbon on top of it, she's beautiful as well. And he's like, all right, right? She's very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known, which means she was a virgin. And so he asks her, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. Right? She goes down, fills up her thing, and starts heading back, and he stops her and he says, may I have a drink? And she, she's like, yes, absolutely, here, have a drink. And then after she fills his cup, she says, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. You could probably, you're probably imagining what's going through him right now. His heart probably started going, right? Because this was the exact thing he had just prayed on. Like, Lord, this is what I wanted to reply when I asked for a drink of water. This is what, if, she, if it's whom you've appointed, I wanted to say yes, and I'll go feed your camels. Well, and so it's like, he's like, whoa, right? The first one out. What's going on, right? Is this, I can't believe it. Could it be on the first try? However, he doesn't freak out. I probably would have freaked out. He doesn't freak out. He's not running around in circles going, oh, right? No, here, here, throwing all the jewels at her and stuff like that. You know, he, he actually is patient. He sits down, drinks his water, and watches her feed his camels, water his camels, right? He waits to see if the Lord had actually answered his prayer. Right? And so after all that hard work is done, probably, like I said, at least an hour worth of work feeding or watering, right? as she empties water into the trough and runs back to the well and draws water and empties it into the trough and runs back to the well and back and forth and back as he just, he's just sitting there watching her. He's not helping, but you know, it says in verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing half a shekel, and two bracelets, weighing ten gold shekels, which you assume he gave to her for as payment for helping her with feeding the camels and stuff like that. It doesn't actually say that he gave them to her, but he's going to give her all that stuff, trust me. He says, please tell me, because he needs to know who she is right? Needs to know where she's from. He says, please tell me, whose daughter are you? And she says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she had born in Nahor. And the servant knew the family tree, okay? He knew that this meant that she was Abraham's people. He knew who Abraham's brother was. So at this point, he, you can imagine, he's just like, God answered my prayers, Right away, he listened and he answered my prayers. He immediately sent a wife out for Isaac before I even finished talking. Right? The servant says the servant recognized this and he immediately worships the Lord. Verse 27, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Right? The Lord had directed his steps. It was the Lord who led him to Rebekah. Rebecca was chosen by God, not by the servant. And this was going to be a marriage made in heaven. But here's what you get to take with you this morning. It's hard to steer a parked car. I may have used that phrase before, but it bears repeating if we want to be guided by the Lord, then we need to be in motion and on our way, right? We need to be stepping out in faith, 
just as the servant did. We need to pray and seek God's guidance in all things. And then we must be willing to obey and, of course, be alert, right? Be watchful for what God is doing. The servant prayed, right? First, the servant obeyed, right? I mean, he was ready to go because his master was sending him. He obeyed. He went. He prayed. He saw that it seemed like the Lord was answering his prayers, but he was watchful and waited to make sure He didn't just presume to what God was doing. So you need to be watchful to what God is doing, not just in your life, but in the life of those around you and in the world around you as well. You need to be watchful to what God is doing. You need to be aware of what's going on. So you need to trust your father's judgment in all things. Isaac trusted his father's judgment on all things including his wife-to-be. You need to meditate on God's Word, which means you need to read God's Word, right? You need to meditate on the truth of God's Word. And if then, if your will is to do God's will, then He will direct your paths, right? In all things. In all things. If your will is to do God's will, and he'll direct your path. And that's very important today. Very important that your will should be to do God's will. And you should be seeking him out so he will direct your paths in all things. <clears throat> that is the faith that we should have in our Father. Right? We should do the will of your Father. But then there's also this. Romans 7 verse 4 tells us, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Matthew seven twenty one says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What we see here, and, we'll, and again, we'll touch on this again next week, because this is what the whole chapter is about. What we see here is a picture of the Holy Spirit sent by the Father, right? Bringing a bride home for his son, right? And today it's no different, right? The Holy Spirit sent by the Father is calling people to be married to Christ. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. That's what it says in the Bible. Right? He does this through his servant, through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and he convicts our hearts concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. <clears throat> and then he awakens in us, he awakens in our heart this desire to walk and a newness of life. To die to the old, to put on the new. John 6.40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
when you have looked upon the Son and you are in Christ and sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, you are then part of the body of Christ and therefore the bride of Christ. Right? You belong to Jesus. And one day he will present you in glory to God the Father. So remember, remember this, much like the servant, when you share the good news with people, when you share the gospel, when you point them to Jesus, when you are a witness to the hope and the salvation that's found in Jesus, when you let them know that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, right? According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, as it says in Ephesians. When, let, when you let them know that, then you are inviting people to share in not only a glorious inheritance, but you are inviting people to come to a wedding. And whether they understand it or not, you're inviting people to come to their wedding in Christ. And that's what we're seeing. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words. I thank you for the picture that we have here. The picture of what you are doing in the world today through the Holy Spirit, drawing people to Jesus so they can be reconciled to God the Father. We pray, Lord, that you continue to do that work through us, that you just continue to allow us to be a light and help us, Lord, so we continue to point people to Jesus and invite them to a wedding, to their wedding. We thank you, Lord, for these words. We thank you for your words. We thank you for the importance of this message. And we pray, Lord, that you just continue to teach it to us, to put your words on our heart, to help us meditate on your words so that we can let you guide our steps so that we can step out in faith, so that our will will be to do the will of our Father. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.